everything. She's happy and free from care. She's not, though she seems to be, seems to be. She's sad when you think of her ways in life for you. I don't remember Stanley defining it right now. But then that's kind of the magic of this film, is that nothing is tied up neatly. And it's part of what isn't said and explained that's part of its mystery. And maybe Stanley didn't 100% know for sure himself. <laughs> Identification. It's 2001. A Space Policy. I'm Wes. I'm Brad. Thank you. You are cleared through voice print identification. Open the pod bay doors, please, help. What you got there? Wow. Homesteading Space, the Skylab story. This looks great. By David Hitt, with uh, help from Owen Garriott and Joe Kerwin, and uh, also featuring a foreword by Homer Hickam. And it's got the flight diary of, of Commander Alan Alan Bean. Bean. Check this out. Uh, speaking of the diary itself, I was just reading in that section. It says that Jack Lausman says, At lunch, Jack was talking about stretch gut, wherein he postulates that since our stomach has not been pulled down for two months by gravity... The tendons that hold it up will be weak, and when we get home to 1G, the stomach will drop and fall out over our pants. <laughs> <laughs> what an excuse. We laughed and further thought that if that happens, our testicles would have the same problem in the scrotum. Stretch nuts, I guess. No. <laughs> Jack said he finally found out why people had trouble sleeping in space. There's no gravity to hold the eyelids down when the body gets tired of doing it. <laughs> up they come and you wake up. Wow, it's like the uh, old toothpick in the eyelids cartoon. Or the indoctrination of Alex in Clockwork Orange. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get the eye speculums out. Yeah. Is, is there a proper term for that? Ocular speculum. I saw them. I saw them at the orange peels. <laughs> Give it a good, just like a good solid. Dude, the bathroom door has been doing that too lately. Yeah, no, it's probably fine. It's probably fine. I don't see how I, I don't get, anticipate yeah. any. Nah. Malicious noises. It's a great book, and and I and I showed this book to Mister Sharer last time I was over there, and he flipped through it and, and enjoyed reading it. Uh, it's it's mostly about he's not in it himself directly. There are references to his instruments. Uh, this is pretty much a about the flight itself more than the so more about the the experience of it yeah, less than the, really the astronaut's point of view the, the experience versus the experiments yeah <laughs> well that's me, right <laughs> it, and it really was because it's really the experience through the experiments is also a nice blend of transcript diary and interviews in three different perspectives i love getting the transcripts because a lot of that gets either romanticized or 
mistranslated or mm-hmm. yeah. lost. And when you're telling the jokes reasons. over and over again and the stories, it becomes kind of a little bit elaborate. When you look at the actual transcript, it's like it's actually quite dry, like an, a Wildean conversation. The quips are very George Bernard Shaw. So pick this up if you can. It's by the University of Nebraska Press. Yeah, I was going to ask if this is a... Um local bookstore yeah ask your local bookstore to carry it if not find it online we've got a whole other year before artemis gets here so we don't have to get our act together anytime soon We traveled, you know, through our known solar system. We arrived at TMA2. TMA2 opens up its massive gullet and swallows us and takes us on the ride of our lives. If it means anything at all, this is, this is the finale of finales. We have been stretched warped twisted and shot through nebulas black holes stellar nurseries every kind of wild astronomical phenomena that you could possibly imagine and then terra firma well what seems to be the module hits solid ground and where are we and I just absolutely love Arthur C. Clarke's portrayal of this. And David, David Bowman. David was prepared, he thought, for any wonder. The only thing he had never expected was the utterly commonplace. And he finds himself in a hotel. And what we see next in that scene is him standing outside the pod. Um, doesn't go through the physical motions of exiting and then sampling the atmosphere. In the novel, Arthur explains that Bowman is aware of the one-to-one gravity he's experiencing. He also realizes that he's in an atmosphere of sorts, and that's what prompts him to remove the helmet and fully taken the i guess completely simulated environment that he's in and it is you know in a perfect grid pattern kind of reminds me of a chessboard which could also be interesting 
and from the perspective that you're shown, it does look like there's 64 tiles. Really? Which would indicate oh. that it is indeed a chessboard, yeah. and that could potentially give more meaning to the objects that are in the room. Yeah, so those are placed. pieces. Potentially, potentially. potentially. You know, that it could be kind of a stretch, but the more that we look into the interior, uh, it, it's absurdist at first, and then everything seems very carefully and, and intentionally placed. Wow. And we could even be thinking about a broader comment on strategy, knowing his affinity for chess and his knowledge of all the different plays. He probably thinks in a process of step one, two, three, mm-hmm. just like a chess game, just like mission directives just like how you would pilot a, a craft yeah you know that's that's taken from his psyche and physically sat out before him mm. that's interesting that is interesting to think about and subconsciously by putting everything into a grid format you're automatically on an analytical wavelength in your mind imagery wise and so you know in, in photography you learn how to break down image and what your perspective is going to be how to shape a point of view with objects and direct the eye line this is essentially breaking all of that down taking the most luxurious situation that you can imagine and putting it on an analysis grid like in a computer yeah, yeah this is a distilled reality put onto graph paper this room is very much a ai's rendition of what a hotel room should be and there's so many strange and interesting artifacts in the room starting from the bottom if you look at the floor have you heard julie kearns have you come across her stuff Mm -hmm. before yeah okay cool she has a whole part by part artistic breakdown of 2001 the different colors in the scenes mean Uh and what the shapes represent. Yeah. The flooring is actually the same as the station ceiling. I'd never noticed that before. And there are so many scenes alluding to the inverse of the image. I literally just forgot to breathe there for a second. I was just looking at it. <laughs> Lungs, do your thing. <laughs> what? Yeah. You're looking at an inverse image, and they've, the furniture and everything is still there. It's just represented. Mm-hmm. And it's explained a little further in the novel that TMA1 absorbed several radio transmissions and video transmissions and information from earth and used that to replicate everything that was around bowman so it would make sense that it also used some of his own memories Mm -hmm. place him into like i guess like a complacency Mm -hmm. oh what part of the bathroom a bathroom scene which we know what that means. Means another episode with Mr. Vatcher. <laughs> so that's the, the bathroom mirror. Why did I never notice that this was in the bathroom? I'm not sure. Uh, there's something. I, there's something. It, it's very surreal. It's it's so close to real, and it, it is very much like an AI tried to make this for Bowman. You know, it's so close to being right. 
it's just like, why didn't you just use an exact replica of an exact hotel of this exact mm-hmm. room? But that's not how that intelligence works. It amalgamated so much data. Oops. Yeah, and what importance, what value do these objects have? You know, it, it has no idea. Just these are all together. just relics. Um, you know, it just has to infer what's important and what's not. And in the novel, there's also a telecommunications company. Is it Bell? God, there's so many crazy little i know it's it's so deep there's nothing nothing going on there's literally nothing going on but at the same time you're making all these connections you're seeing all these things and so much eluded me until looking further into the things that caught my eye like Mm -hmm. the paintings on the wall and the paintings are like a big deal Mm -hmm. um i didn't (laughs) i didn't realize how crazy they went with these paintings because it is a very interesting shot and it eludes me a little bit how the perspective is spinning but also the angle of the room is spinning at the same time Mm -hmm. it's magic yeah i don't even know because when i was trying to describe the shot I, i was initially writing down like it's a pan left and it's not it's like a weird forward rotational mm. shot. But I gotta this, check this, out. this, this. Oh yeah, the ceiling and the floor thing. That's mind blowing. It, it's it's too deep. I should have come with my speedos. I didn't realize. I I thought I I, I thought I liked the deep end. I got in there. I saw something and it stared back at me, man. We <laughs> it came, were. It came back at me. Now this, interestingly enough, it's just subjectively from my point of view. This was the most remarkable set of all. I think as much because of the way it was lit from the floor. I, know, I mean, this was, this. I mean, every set for me was a bit like Disneyland. I mean, it was an extraordinary, they were extraordinary sets, every single one of them. But something about this set was special. Also, because of working in Unreal, I automatically think of putting the skin of the ceiling lights from Space Station 5 into the floor of this hotel room. In Unreal all the time, it's like, well, you know, the the seabed here or this riverbed, I ain't going to change it to copper. No, copper doesn't look right. Let's make it bronze. And you can just scroll through all the different textures you have. Mm. So it's often that I'll use something from a previous game or a previous level that's a texture maybe for moss or something like that that actually looks good as a carpet so it's the same kind of thinking of a computer or another type of intelligence of rearranging textures like oh that looks good i'll use that now for the floor it's it's just the top at the bottom either way it's kind of an uncanny valley for them because they don't really have the ability to discern the smallest details you know this is a an organic surface Mm -hmm. or this is supposed to be like a fibrous surface or yeah Almost. is it traffic lights is it a stop sign is it a boat or is it a trolley is it porous skin you know <laughs> that's where the captures get you you know yeah. I, I barely get the ones with the trolley oh because, goodness yeah you know, if you show me a wrought iron gate in new orleans it's going to probably look like an old-fashioned all the trolley ones i have have two trolleys and there's usually a line of people on one of them and then a single person on the other one and i i really spend a lot of time in a a moral dilemma trying to get past it (laughs) that's the turing test the moral dilemma and the captcha click oh no 
do you do you sacrifice many to get there faster yeah. or do you sacrifice one incrementally to slowly get there but if you become good at it then you're you're looked upon to make these tough decisions for other people you know this could become a sideline that's a lot of pressure it is a lot of pressure paul i don't see paul riser a couple of weeks ago he was great great show and uh he had a bit on how great a feeling it is to actually pass a captcha test you know it's just like the most <laughs> that's heady. the most human affirming thing you yeah, can it do. is <laughs> that's right still I'm, alive i'm not a robot <laughs> not yet <laughs> not yet <laughs> tell you my own interpretation of this is uh i think uh it's a combination again let's go back to my concept that this is that i'm under the spell of the higher intelligence that they are so sophisticated and uh, in advance scientifically over us that they have a facility, the facility to what we would do if we had uh, uh, an animal in the woods and we wanted to make it think it was in its own environment. We'd kind of make a cage and put some branches in there to make it feel at home. You know, you go to the zoo, you see some caves they build for the polar bear and we have an artificial pond for them to get cold in or wet. That's what we do for them. They're so sophisticated. They have the ability to go inside the human brain and play the brain as like a tape recorder and extract whatever it needs to. They've gone inside my brain. Probably I walked through a museum some, and saw a room to show what Louis the fifth, uh, you know, Louis the sixteenth uh, would have lived in, and they just arbitrarily saw habitat. So they removed what they saw as habitat for this creature and built this for me. In Go, Japanese uh, Go, mm. are you familiar much with Go? Yeah. Far Our friend too, Jake. Far too it. complicated. Like to. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like golf. It looks simple until you try to do it yourself. Right. But, and we're talking, this is the black and white pebble yeah. game. Yeah. Which is essentially chess, but more pieces and uh, more strategy. The contrast is the similarity between the two, which I think is interesting. In both East and West versions of the game, you have black and white or, mm -hmm. you know, red and cream marble or wh whatever your contrast In is. Go, is it also kind of a territorial thing? Yeah, you're kind of like, like doing groups. You're boxing people. Siege. Yeah. So it really is truly like a war game. Mm -hmm. I mean, chess is too, obviously. But, but yeah, all these books on both of those games written by great generals, tacticians. tacticians. You know, all of his movements are very deliberate in here too aging is part of it but also the dimensionality it's like you're seeing a slowed down time structure even though there's no he frame rate change really takes care to analyze each part of the room too mm -hmm. through this very wide angle shots yeah, you know we'd leave fish basically no stone unturned and uh, even when he's clearly going through like a rapid aging process mm -hmm. it's, it's not a sense of panic or alarm it's almost like a sense of acceptance yeah and a sense of acceptance after the awe because some transitions he's looking at himself in the future and then we cut away and that's it and those looks are usually in some kind of awe and then his final look towards the monolith itself is of course a great look of of oh my god it's full of stars but you know, sometimes he's not paying any attention at all. Sometimes it's a cutaway because he, you know, he's the glass shatters and mm -hmm. he's he's moving through the space, but he's never inhabiting the space until 
he's lying in, even when he's lying in the bed, he's kind of lying on the bed. He's very much separated from the place he's in. When he's sitting at dinner, he's very proper. He's very stiff. He's, you know. It's interesting okay. to see the transition from him going from the suit to the actual, the pajamas or whatever yeah, they've got him yeah. dressed up the in. crushed velvet. It looks just as uncomfortable on him. Mm-hmm. Very he, he's tight, still, tailor-made, but tight. It doesn't look quite right. Stiff. You know, it's, and it's, dabbing with the napkin, the food is all superficial, the chewing of it, you know, every, which he was obviously directed to do. It, it makes it seem like his body is also a manifestation of what they've condensed and they're making him go through the motion so they can observe it like he's not even really in control his consciousness is kind of locked in they have control of his body and perhaps they're exploring the human physicality of eating and aging and all of the normal processes that they wouldn't be able to glean from experience maybe yeah absolutely it just took me to a, an article in the new yorker a couple of weeks ago about a woman who went into a cave in Spain for 500 days to try and beat the world record. And she didn't bring Wi-Fi or any video or phone or anything like wow. previous people had done. She had a headlamp. She had a security camera and a panic button, but she would never hear from them. She would just be able to talk to the... They couldn't hear her either. It was just a visual camera to see that she was okay. Hmm. They would drop food down onto a ledge and she'd crawl and get it Holy along with library books. Geez. But her whole sense of time was completely erased within a matter of days. She was very confident that that wouldn't happen. And she came out of it and Murray's like, oh, living my best life. Wish I'd been in there during the whole pandemic. Ha ha. But when you go back, when, when the researchers went back and, and reviewed the footage, you know, it was clear that she was going through what everybody does go through with that. Not only sensory deprivation, because she was in a relatively light part of the cave, ambient light, but no sunlight. Yeah. And no circadian senses anymore after not leaving. Completely cut off from any signal. So she would, 15 days in, think that she is like three months in. And then conversely, a couple of weeks later, she would think, oh, wow, I can't believe it's only been a week and a half. And she's been there two months, you know. And wow. So I wonder with Dave, you know, he's so resigned and stiff at this point. Is part of this maybe, I mean, Let's say it's very well air-conditioned, like hotels yeah. are. You can't turn the damn unit off. You're going to get a cold in the middle of the night. to take but... the helmet off. Yeah. It's not, the, not afraid of the air. He's just a little chilly. Yeah, exactly. He <laughs> needs <laughs> a humidifier. A humidifier, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to chap. <laughs> get the man a mustard plaster. But also, is it possible that he's been in there so long... Because if he's aging in human years, I mean, maybe it's an interdimensional thing where he's aging more rapidly in the space that they're in. But it's also very possible that in this time and space vacuum, whatever time is elapsing, you do have the aging process, the entropy happening at the rate that it happens for us in real time on Earth. Mm -hmm. Like in Earth years, if somebody was, like if Serge the camera guy had accidentally got sucked through the monolith as well. <laughs> You know, and he have to be sitting there filming Dave for 30 years or more. You know, because he, he, he gets in there, he's in his 30s. He gets to the next stage, he looks like he's in his early 60s, very fit, middle age. Next look, he's in his maybe 70s, 80s, and he's eating dinner. By the time he gets to the bed, he looks like he's well into his hundreds. He looks like the 
you know, the people in Lost Horizon, you know, like the, the ancient baby look. And you have to live a long time to look like an ancient baby. <laughs> and, of course, you're living in a gilded cage, the gildedest cage that there could be. And so it's pamper soft, you know, it's like baby right. powder cushy in there. Yeah. You're not getting scabs and scars and dirt on your face, but you are aging back into that with, I would assume being isolated that long alone with your thoughts not only a loss of what time and space is but who you are and why you're there yeah what you're doing and without the social interactions to build there are no days and nights in there there's no windows no it's pure white light yeah it's like summer in alaska right they've got just 24-hour sun. Yeah. A lot of people do have seasonal affective disorder, but it's not because of how gloomy it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they really, uh, they have a lot of cases of uh, manic. I I could imagine. Just go, go, go until you collapse. Like, yeah. Um, Scientists in Antarctica also have that same issue that they do in the Arctic Circle. And their winter, though, when they have multiple <laughs> days yeah. of the night that's got to be unnerving um, especially when you can't even leave the base if you're getting a little claustrophobic i mean it's which brings us right back to bowman what is he trained for claustrophobic spaces discovery how many days and nights are they rotating around yeah you know from jupiter just like what we were reading about with skylab you know getting used to and just like everybody on the iss how many sunrises a day and sunsets do we pass through Good. Adjust your measuring stick use for time a little bit. So maybe is it really about the isolation that makes the time difference that much crazier? Like if, what if Frank had survived and they had both gotten, but they, let's say they're both in the same pod somehow, even though I know you right. can't fit in there, but if he was hanging in there like. May have had like a fly situation. Right. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah. But, but if they had both survived and they had each other to talk to and play cards with. Right. And they could finally be happy together and marry, yeah, exactly. and marry each other. Yes. I imagine that we would see their entire lives play out. And it wouldn't be just a hit the fast forward button. No, it, it would be like a cross dissolves and freeze frames and happy moments uh, together. Absolutely. Carol King, you know, and maybe some carpenters. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Frank, I'm having a bit of trouble with my transmitter and seat pod. I wonder if you'd come down and take a look at it with me. Yeah. It sure is good to see. Sure, okay. Well, what do you think? I'm not sure. What do you think? No, I agree about that. Well, let's get on with it. Okay. Gary and I really got along very well. In real life, we're very different personalities, very different. And in a way, I think we never, we were never a threat to each other. It wasn't like I was a little too much like him or he was a little too much like me. For some reason, 
It was yin and yang. We really fit together, even though we're very, very different in real life. And uh, we always liked each other almost immediately. And I think that really helped the film a lot. We did have a very good working relationship and it wasn't just nonsense. I mean, we, we're, we're very good pals. We were, you know, seven to eight months together and then Kier was another six weeks on his own doing the disconnection. And we both realized, you know, what we did and what we made. And we're both very proud of it. I think adding social interaction just gives the complexity to every day that solidarity just strips away. You can't even have a self-affirming interaction. You, Like I said, you lose your sense of identity after such a short period of time being by yourself. But even with just one other person, the experience completely changes and people inspire each other. So you kind of get like this reciprocal positivity. Well, the woman in the cave wouldn't take in, she refused to have like a stuffed animal to take with her. So, oh, I don't need a Wilson, you know, like cast away. <laughs> but she ended up taking two animals, stuffed animals that she refused to to, to anthropomorphize they were just there as reminders of her house huh. well you know telling yourself this but they found over over time that she ended up performing for the camera the security camera and even though there was no audio she was singing and talking to the researchers as her boyfriend like the camera was her boyfriend she's blowing kisses to it you know being all snug having arguments with it having a whole relationship with this lens that there's no feedback from, unless she pushed the panic button and then they'd come running, but she never did because she wasn't in trouble. Wow. She only pushed the panic button when she go to sleep to let him know, this is why I'm not moving. Yeah, yeah, I'm not dead. Yeah. <laughs> not dead yet. So she did end up following through the predicted modes of behavior that psychologists with modern research say about it. And so the head researcher at the time, you know, some of the people in we're freaking out, and it's like we got to go in and get her. She's getting weird. She's breaking down. It's like, no, no, no. This is okay because I've I've seen this. You know, she's doing healthy adaptive behavior. If she's getting a hallucination, it's because it's keeping her brain stimulated with it being an other, rather than something that she absorbs and then becomes desensitized mm. to. Interesting things like that. That just a sign of cracking up is not in fact the sign of going crazy. It's the sign of still being sane. To, to know the difference, to, to be bothered by it, to crack up, you know? <laughs> I get that. I think this is an accelerated aging process, and it's just Stanley, and I thought it was... And I seem to remember actually making the, the suggestion to Stanley, and whether he, he thought of doing it on his own anyway, um, the fact that I think he might have taken my suggestion <laughs> kind of tickles me. I said, Stanley, why don't you... You don't see the younger version disappear. Here's an older version already. Now, you've seen me slightly older with wrinkles on my face inside the space helmet. All that happens is that the younger version just isn't there. Here he hears a noise. I've just been standing there in that room in my red spacesuit. He hears the older version of me, hears a noise, presumably made by that. See, he's not, I'm no longer there. I'm not in that bathroom. And the same will happen. This is the second aged version. The first aged version is when you see me with wrinkles inside this red space suit. This is the second version. And again, when I'm the most, the oldest on the bed, 
reaching up toward the monolith. Again, you will never cut back to this person. You will only see the older version. That face you make. Look, I so old to young eyes. No, of course not. <coughs> I do. <coughs> yes, I do. When 900 years old you reach, look as good you are not. Hmm? <laughs> the Stuart Freeborn makeup on the final oldest version of Dave. Mm. If you look at that makeup, if you look at it from the side and you look at his nose and his nostrils, the, his nose clumps underneath this puffy brow okay. in a form that's not entirely dissimilar to how Stuart Freeborn himself would look in 20, 30 years. Oh. Or a certain little green wise gentleman oh, no. created in his likeness. Really? So if you put a side-by-side -side Empire Yoda design and a profile of oldest Bowman in the bed, wow. look at that brow and nose a little bit. It's, it's, got it's the just DNA. a little bit. But I noticed it the most recent time thinking about yeah. Wow. What a treat. It is. So it makes you wonder if he tried those appliances on himself first. Yeah, had He's to no have. Pro. Had to have. His wife helped because she was... Okay, <laughs> that's awesome. They work together. Now that makeup that you're seeing in the oldest version in the bed, and by the way, the one in the the me in the foreground will not be there. That took twelve hours. In the film 2010, it only took six hours, but that took twelve hours to apply. I think it's an amazing makeup. Dave is melting down mm -hmm. into a tabula rasa. <laughs> Just like we were talking about the imprinting of basic humanity, you know, according to John Locke, you know, we all start from the same basic premise, not taking into account DNA and modern things like that, but from a basic philosophical level of nature and nurture, he is going back down to the uncarved block that's going to shoot out into that embryo. Yeah. To be a baby again, to start from scratch. A new baby. Yes. Brand new. Soft baby. And fresh. Bowman baby. Smelling of aloe vera. <laughs> you know what's interesting? If you read the book, Stanley was never as specific about where the world was in terms of uh, world events at the time. Of course, at that time, uh, it was during the Cold War and the Russians were the other great force. And in the book, both powers, the United States and Russia, have nuclear weapons in constant orbit around the Earth. And this sort of Superman, this next evolution of mankind, which this represents, that I have been changed by the alien presence, nullifies all the nuclear weapons. From Clavia Space, this is Brad, and I'm Wes, signing off. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye.